if you ask a stupid question, you get a stupid answer, I think. <laughs> These are steps we all must take to protect Scotland. The people of Scotland will not be disrespected by this Parliament. Mr Speaker. Scottish Politics Explained. A podcast by After Record and hosted by me, Iris Fazer. Welcome everyone to a new episode of Scottish Politics Explained. I am Iris Pazza, your host, and I really hope you had a lovely week, especially because today we're going to talk about Brexit. I know, I know, you've heard enough of it, maybe even too much, but do we really understand what's going on and how it affects us? As Brexit talks went on and on, I kept seeing a question popping up in the news that is, Can Scotland join or better rejoin the EU? And if I'm honest, it's a question I've selfishly looked up so many times myself. Being a born and bred Italian, to me Brexit felt like this enormous danger to my future here in Scotland, a country that I love deeply and where I hope I can keep living in, to be honest. Enough about me though, because, you know, joining the EU would not affect European immigrants only, but it would also have an impact on the lives of Scottish people living both in Scotland or abroad. For this reason, I'm here today to chat with Michael Gray. Michael is a trainee solicitor and the co-founder of Scotia, which is a pro-independence media organisation based here in Scotland. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to Scottish Politics Explained. Hello. Thank you for having me. So as I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to talk about the possibility for Scotland to join the European Union. But before we delve into the details of the issue, I'd like to take a step back and ask you, how did we get here in the first place? I mean, why does Scotland even want to join the European Union? It's a a great question because... You know, there's been so much going on in the last four or five years that it's easy to lose track of how we got here. Obviously, the vote on European Union membership was in June of 2016, so almost five years ago now. And in that referendum, Scotland voted 62% to remain in the European Union. That was every single council area in the country. But of course, uh, the wider United Kingdom voted by a narrow margin to leave the European Union. And because Scotland is... As, as of now, still legally part of our country within the, the UK. The whole of the UK then left the European Union, but that obviously caused a lot of controversy because a lot of people in Scotland felt that meant their, their vote wasn't being respected and that it was anti-democratic. Here you make an interesting point in reminding us that actually the majority of Scottish people voted against leaving the European Union in 2016. But wouldn't you say that there is some kind of contradiction in the way that we're seeing a growing majority of people supporting independence while at the same time wanting to join the European Union? I would say no, because the European Union, if you go back to its roots in the, the time after the Second World War, is an international organisation. It's a treaty-based organisation amongst independent countries to cooperate with each other for shared interests and goals. And obviously after 
the Second World War and the, the horrors of that conflict, the main reason to join the, the new organisation was for peace and stability, economic cooperation, cultural exchange between independent countries to make sure we never again had a repeat of the horrors and the bloodshed of the Second World War. And in the decades since it was established and expanded, I would say the, the European Union has been a success in bringing European countries together that for thousands of years have often been at war and conflict with each other. And over the past few decades, Scotland has benefited hugely from being within the European Union. We know that because tens of thousands of people from across Europe have moved here and made our country a better place. And likewise, people from Scotland have had the freedom to live and move and work and fall in love with people from across the European Union and had that freedom to, to live in other countries. So broadly, the, the EU has been a positive example of cooperation between independent countries. What we have now is that as a result of, of votes elsewhere, Scotland loses those opportunities. It loses the economic benefits, it loses the cultural benefits. And as I said, it, it loses the respect and opportunity to be part of something bigger. And the, the purpose of the EU is not to make countries non-independent or take away their independence. It's to make them pool sovereignty, to share the sovereignty and the power that they have for, for good ends. And um, so I think that's a, a positive thing for an independent country to do. Yes, definitely. So let's suppose Scotland chooses to try and go down that route. What process would the country have to go through to become a member of the European Union? First of all, we have to, obviously, in my opinion, vote for independence. For, for a slight divergence, there, there was some discussion after the result in 2016 that there could be some halfway house, that there could be some way that, that Scotland maintained its position from the single market or the customs union, for instance, which are important parts of, of the European Union's sort of trade arrangements without becoming independent. So they thought that maybe they could do a special deal in the way that Northern Ireland has kind of got a special deal. But the problem with that idea was that you needed one side of the negotiation to support it. So if you want anything in politics, you kind of need someone batting your corner, someone standing up for you. But the negotiations were between London and Brussels between the European Union and their negotiators and the UK negotiators. And obviously the, the European Union don't represent Scotland because they were the other side. They said they were open to these kind of ideas, but effectively London, the Conservative government said that they didn't want a separate deal for Scotland. So the idea that you could have some kind of special deal or Scotland could have its own relationship without independence has been shot down, it's been ruled out. So what you're left with now is that you have to look at what are the accession criteria or the rules of joining for the EU, as, as you just asked. And those are in Article 49 of the Treaty on the European Union. And right there at the top of the list is be a European state. So Scotland's halfway there because we are geographically within Europe. You know, the landmass is where it is. And obviously we're a European country. The problem, of course, is the word state. And Scotland, although a country, it's a nation, it's a political community, it's an identity, it's got a history, a like languages, a literature, all these types of things. It's not a state. There's no one that pretends or claims that Scotland is a state in, in a legal international sense. And for that simple reason, as it stands, Scotland can't become an accession country to the European Union because it's not an independent country. It doesn't have the legal capacity of recognition to apply through Article 49 to become a member of the European Union, like, you know, Spain or France or Belgium or Croatia or any other country. And um, it's a country, but it's not a European state. Where we can be more positive about the prospect of Scotland joining the European Union is, firstly, there's a lot of goodwill now across Europe. A lot of politicians have said they would be welcome 
in to Scotland applying to become a member of the EU. Yeah, which is radically different from what we saw in 2014, for instance, with Barroso saying that it was basically impossible for Scotland to join the EU. So quite the big change. Yeah, another another flashback. Seven years ago, there was a lot of controversy over how long it would take and whether it would be difficult, etc. And, you know, they basically didn't want the hassle. Some some European leaders were 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 more negative. But now there's a bit more understanding because of Brexit that Scotland is a bit of a special case and and because, you know, we've been in the European Union for, for generations. So there's this goodwill. But secondly, the other parts of Article 49 are more positive for Scotland because they relate to basic things that we often take for granted in what is obviously a fairly wealthy, modern, prosperous, fairly stable country. And those are basic tenets of democracy, free and fair elections, equality, the rule of law, respect for for human rights. And these are part of the requirements to join the EU, mainly as it was expanding into countries from the former Soviet Union and potential candidate countries in the the Balkans region, where often there'd been conflict or occupation or civil war and violence. So these are obviously things that that fortunately aren't concerns that apply to Scotland. So we meet those qualifications as well. The the other substantial challenge is what's called um, the the EU acquis, which is the kind of rules of of law in relation to the EU. Um, Some of those are set down in the, the Copenhagen criteria, and there's basically 35 different chapters that you're required to pass as part of an accession or application process. And because Scotland has been in the EU for, for generations, the vast majority of those are, in essence, already met by Scotland in terms of um, following EU requirements for, for the economy or, as I say, various sort of relationships with other countries. So the question then is, how long would it take after you've put in this application? Well, in the cases of countries like Austria, Sweden, Finland, the process took a couple of years um, and in Scotland's case, it would obviously vary uh, depending on the, the political climate. So you mentioned a few obstacles that could prevent Scotland from becoming a member of the European Union. And what role do you think the euro plays into this picture? I mean, do you think it could be a problem for Scotland to adopt a new currency or could the idea of the euro kind of put off some of the voters? Well, that's an important issue to clear up because there's sometimes misinformation that says countries in the European Union have to use the euro. And of course, that's not true. You look at countries like Sweden, for instance, that still run their their own currency. What the, the EU actually says is that you have to commit to the principle of using the euro in the future if you meet and go through certain processes. And one of those is, of course, using your own independent currency and basically pegging that currency or going through a two-year European exchange rate mechanism process. So all all very complicated monetary policy issues. But the basic lesson or fact to take from it is that countries aren't forced to use the euro as a consequence of joining the European Union. They have to opt in. So while there are some people who who want to make that a controversy in relation to Scotland um, or act as if it would be a barrier or a requirement, that's not the case. Are there any other challenges that you think are not covered enough or not well enough and maybe due to misinformation? Well, the main issue is obviously domestic support because a lot of people like to fantasise about their ideal world and, you know, sort of redesign the world and on the basis of what's in their own head. But it's only going to happen if that's what people in Scotland democratically decide to do. And you're right, as you said, that there's lots, the last 21 polls in a row have shown that 
the majority of people in Scotland now support independence, which is obviously a, a massive, historic, important change. But that doesn't necessarily mean it will happen. We've seen in the last couple of years with, with COVID and with Brexit how quickly things can change. And it only becomes real if people, you know, sort of raise their voices and become involved in, in making political political change happen. And obviously, a lot depends on what happens in May when there's the Scottish elections. And that's being viewed as in some ways, you know, a referendum on a referendum. It's a, it's a vote to decide the future of the country. And you have Nicola Sturgeon and the Scottish National Party campaigning for the right to hold um, another referendum on independence, as are the, the Scottish Greens and a number of smaller parties. And on the other side of the dial, you obviously have the Conservative Party, which is led by Boris Johnson um, at a UK level who are arguing that there shouldn't be another uh, vote or referendum on independence. So how that vote plays out in May will obviously tell us a lot about what could happen in the future and whether there, there first will be another referendum at all, whether there's a legal route to, to hold a referendum like there was in 2014, or whether that will be blocked. And obviously, if there's no referendum on independence, there's no opportunity to be an independent country. And if you can't be an independent state, then there's no route to rejoin the European Union. Kind of wrapping up, uh, you did an extremely interesting interview to Dr. Kirsty Hughes, where you talked about the relationship between Scotland and the European Union. I'd like to ask you, do you have any suggestions in terms of sources that could be useful for people looking into learning more about this topic? Um, I think a good place to start is the European Movement in Scotland. Um, so it's uh, an organisation that's been about for, for decades and decades promoting sort of discussion on the relationship between Scotland and Europe. And so they host various events and have had speakers and publish information. Um, and the person you just mentioned, Dr. Kirsty Hughes, uh, she runs an organisation called the Scottish Centre on European Relations. Um, and she's a specialist in the European Union and she's published lots of articles, as have other art, uh, academics, often looking precisely what I've talked about today, which is the relationship between Scotland and Europe and what that relationship will look like in the future. Thank you so much, Michael, for your recommendations. And I'll make sure to add all the links in the podcast description as well as on our website. I really enjoyed this chat and I feel like we offered quite a good starting point for anybody who wants to know more about the relationship between Scotland and the European Union and if there is any chance for us to actually rejoin. So again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. If you too enjoyed our chat, send us your feedback and share the podcast with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, this was a Scottish Politics Explained. Have a lovely weekend.